Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. Well, this morning we continue our You Ask For It series, and I really seriously do hope that it's been helpful for you. A couple of weeks ago, we spoke about how science uh, proves or disproves Christianity. We spoke about that question, and then last week we spoke about uh, what's the deal with heaven or hell. Um, And so those are available on podcasts. You can go grab them. And today we have got another topic which I love, which is something that I personally had to research and grow in, and I hope that it's going to be helpful for you. And we're going to be talking about whether prayer changes things or not. Have, I don't know if you ever heard stories of people who have uh, found God or, or found redemption or found salvation. And part of their story is a mum who was praying and praying and praying. I don't know. I know some of you here have got that story and it's fantastic. But I think the truth is many of us don't even know how much our mums or our grandparents have been praying for us and, and covering us in prayer. I love those stories. I, I heard stories about, you know, uh, soldiers going to war and and um, the, as, as they were in the middle of a battle, the mum was woken up and they, the mum prayed and it was that moment where uh, that guy got saved and all that kind of amazing stuff. And so when you, when you think about those great stories um, and you think about prayers like, yeah, prayer works, but let's go a little bit deeper today, yeah? Let's really dig into this and, and find out what the Bible says and not just use these stories, which maybe is just coincidence or is it? Maybe there's something so much bigger than that. Was that a good moment? Anyway. So uh, a couple of the, the, the um, questions that people asked for us to formulate this uh, topic for today. Let me just read it out to you. The first one is, when you see bombings by radical Muslims and refugees getting into countries illegally, how do you pray for such situations? Do you ask God to save them and leave it at that? Is it wrong to ask God's retribution on those unlawful acts? Another person asks, how do we pray for world peace when the Bible says all things happen according to His will? We're going to take these in turn. And the first question, let me just turn uh, your attention to Psalm 69. And this was written uh, by King David. Now, King David was, uh, the Bible describes him as a man after God's own heart. He is a, 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 a person that really got close to God and had a real strong relationship with God. And at the same time, it didn't mean that he didn't go through any difficult times in his life. And it was during one of these difficult times that he pens uh, this psalm. And this is what he says in verses 22 to 28. He says uh, to his enemies, he said, let their own table before them become a snare. And when they are at peace, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and make their loins, whatever that means, tremble continually. Pour out your indignation upon them and let your burning anger Overtake them, may they can't be a desolation, let no one dwell in their tents, for they persecute him who you have struck down, and they recount the pain of those who are wounded. Add to them punishment upon punishment, may they have no acquittal before you, let them be blotted out of the book of the living, let them not be enrolled among the righteous. It's pretty heavy. This is Bible that we're talking about. This is not some weird Scientology book that has got 
weird alien language going on, but this is, this is a man who was described as a man after God's own heart. He was experiencing or he witnessed bad, wicked people getting away with stuff, persecuting people, spreading their destruction and their death, and he prays that they die, basically. That is pretty heavy stuff, if you ask me. And it's clear that if you have this depth of, man, this is an injustice going on, and you pray that to God, God's not going to go, you terrible human being. I don't know where this comes from. I think that our culture, and even in our churches, we somehow believe that Christians need to be nice. We're not allowed to have bad emotions or bad thoughts against another person. We are only supposed to be nice. And that's possibly why this person wrote, are we allowed to pray for retribution? Should we not just pray for the salvation of all of mankind and be uh, above it all? And I think God's like, you're human beings. You experience hurt and pain. And there is no problem with bringing that to me. So if you feel and you see something going on that stirs something up in you, God's not this like prude. God's not so above our human emotion that he's like, how dare you even think that or consider that? But what we can do is that we can come to God and we can bring these prayers to him. But it's really in the, the heart of why we bring this that is important. You see, uh, uh, David continues on in the very same psalm. And in verse 30, he says, I will praise the name of the Lord with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. And he goes on to say, at the end, let the heavens and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. You see, David had this revelation and this understanding that God is above all. And that is why he comes to God. God is sovereign, and the word sovereign simply means the supreme ruler, the supreme authority. He comes to God, and he, he brings his petition. He brings his prayer and his pain and his hurt, and he says, God, you are sovereign. You are above all of this. Everything praises you, and so will I. And in that way, if you are sovereign and you know what is going on, I bring this to you and I submit it to you. We don't pray to God expecting Him to do exactly as we will. We go to Him and pray to Him expecting Him to accomplish what He wills. Does that make sense? That is something that's really important. When we pray, it is not simply a selfish, self-motivated prayer. And I love that this person is saying, uh, obviously, something about what is going on in the, in the turmoil and the, uh, uh, the terrible stuff that is going on in the world. This person is going, I want to pray about it. But just praying for the safety and the peace of the refugees doesn't feel enough. Surely there is something more that God is going to do. Surely He hears the cry of those who have been suffering under injustice. And the Bible tells us, bring it to God. There's nothing wrong with praying in that way. Let it be raw. Let it be real. God doesn't need you to be performing some kind of ritualistic prayer. God's not asking you to memorize prayers and only those sanctified prayers will reach Him. David was like, kill them. Make their loins tremble. <laughs> I don't know what that means for David. But it was, it's in 
he, he wrote it. It was like something is stirring inside of him. And he goes, I need to get this out. When I start lashing out at people around you, he said, I'm going to bring this to God who's able to do something about this. And I'm going to trust him. So let's, let's continue on because this next question about whether our prayer actually does anything, does it change anything when it simply is God uh, uh, having his way, I guess, to some extent? How, how do we understand this? Does it accomplish anything? And, and I struggled with this question a, a few years ago. I was, I was on a personal journey and a personal discovery of God. Uh, um, and, and, and part of my discovery was really understanding that God is sovereign, as we have mentioned before, that God is above all, that He is not someone that I can manipulate. He is not someone that is uh, 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 like some kind of uh, a vending machine. I don't put a few prayers in and expect my prize or, 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 or whatever I paid for to, to come out. And, and I was understanding that God is this supreme authority, this massive ruler of the universe. And as I was discovering that, which is really important for each and every one of us to understand, by the way, we don't serve a God who is human. We don't serve a God who is small. He's way beyond our imagination. He is sovereign. He's above all. But in the middle of that, there was that question for me in the same way as like, what does prayer change then? And uh, someone put it to me this way, and it really made sense for me. It said, prayer changes me more than it changes God. You see, when we pray, our prayer is not a one-way street. We don't just go to God, okay, God, this is my shopping list. Deal with it and walk away. See, prayer is a conversation, and so we hear from God as much as He hears from us. And as we speak to Him, we expect, and we should expect Him to answer. And so a little while ago, uh, last year, actually, there was this uh, situation that Beck and I were in. We, we were trying to sell a house. Um, and we had the house on the market for a whole year. We took it off. It hasn't sold yet. We haven't got the results that we would like. And um, as, as you might understand, if you put a house on sale, it means that you need to clean your house every single week to the point where it looks like no one has lived in it. And so we, we were doing it on a weekly basis to have home opens and allow people, uh, strangers, to look through our stuff so that hopefully they will want to buy um, the house that doesn't have any of our stuff. And, uh, and, and yeah, so it got frustrating. It was really quite annoying to be in that situation. And, and I remember it was probably about two-thirds of the way through the year. And, and as we were cleaning, I was praying. And I was like, God, you know, you need to do something about this. And, and in the middle of all that, understand that this was months after we had put it on the market. It was getting to a point of real frustration. And Beck and I had been praying after that, like probably the first couple of, first months, we were like, yeah, yeah, it will come. No worries. Uh, second month, and it was like, let's start praying. Third month, is like, let's fast. Fourth month, it was like, I don't know what it was, but it was terrible. And uh, as we continued, uh, yeah, so we got to that day, and, and as I was praying, I, I really felt God speak to me, and He said, do you trust me? And um, it wasn't a do you trust me in the sense that watch me because I'm going to do something today. It was a do you trust me even if nothing changes? Do you trust me if you don't get the results that you want? Do you trust me even if 
your house doesn't sell. And it was a difficult moment because I was like, what do you mean? If I trust that you are good, wouldn't you do good things for me? And God was impressing upon me and showing me that there was something too small about my understanding of Him. I saw God as someone that I would pray to, and if He was good, then He would definitely do stuff, which meant that if He didn't do the stuff that I wanted to do, then He isn't good. And I realized in that moment, I was like, oh my gosh, I was approaching God as though I held the sovereignty, as though I was the one commanding Him to do stuff. And when He said, do you trust me, there was suddenly this understanding of like, oh my gosh, yes, but no, I haven't, but I want to. And so this started me on his journey, and Beck could probably remember that day because we took a very long walk, which Beck likes, which I don't, to go get coffee while the home open was happening, and we were talking about this. And, and as, we, as we walked and, uh, and we talked about this, I was like, you know what? I want to learn how to trust God even if He doesn't give me what I want. I want to trust Him because I know that He's got plans that are beyond mine, that He's got ways that I don't understand, that He's doing stuff that I don't see, and I'm not sovereign. I don't know what's going on. And through that episode, it became clear that my prayers wasn't changing my situation. It was changing me. My conversations with God didn't change the fact that I had to clean my stupid house every single week. But it changed something inside of me that showed me that I had seen God as too small. That I needed to see Him in a different way. Some of you, you don't understand that. And for some of you, you're like, well, God didn't do what you wanted, so maybe He's not that great and powerful. Yeah, that's another argument. Maybe write it down for you, ask for next week, next year, not next week. Next week's done. Don't throw span in the works for Beck. She's, yeah, she doesn't want that. But for, the, for me, I know that God was doing something new in me. He stretched my faith. Now, we took our house off the market, but my faith in God is stronger than ever. The situation doesn't faze me anymore because God's grown me. So prayer changes something in the sense that at the very least it changes me. But as I continued on in my Christian journey and my Christian walk, I understand that that doesn't quite cut it because Bible reading changes me. Hearing good preaching from a good-looking Asian guy changes me. And another good-looking Asian, it doesn't have to be me. Lots of Asians in the world, about half the world are Asian. About a quarter of them are good-looking. Totally joking. Humor is my way of um, breaking the ice, in case you didn't know. But... I understand that you can learn about yourself and change through other methods. And for me, personally, prayer is one of those things that I get a bit bored with. It's like, okay, let's pray. Yada, 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 yada. All right, done. And it's like, there, yeah, it's kind of boring. And I didn't really understand the power of prayer as much as I understand that it changes me. Quite often I'm not moved to pray until it gets to a point of desperation and until I'm like, I'm really lost and I got nothing else and, and so I'm going to reach out for it. And, and this was until recently that I understood that prayer actually has power behind it. It's not just this personal growth tool and technique. 
as much as I believe and I have shown and hopefully demonstrated that that is a part of prayer. But I also believe that prayer is something that is so much more than that. And I realized this because I understood this teaching and, 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 and I realized where a part of where all of this um, struggle came from because um, there are two things about God's character that we need to understand properly in order for us to pray properly. You see, there is um, first the concept of God's sovereignty. And we've spoken about this. God is supreme ruler and supreme authority. And quite often we understand that as if God has authority, then I have no authority. And so what's the point of praying? It's kind of like a slave going to a master and saying, at the end of the day, you do what you want to do. And I've got no say about what is going on. And so what's the point of praying if that's the kind of relationship that is taking place? And the second thing about God's character is that He is unchangeable. If you go to Bible college, they might call it this thing called immutability. And that's like, muta is kind of like mutant. There's, God doesn't change. He doesn't mutate over time. And uh, the Bible is very clear about this in Malachi 3 verse 6. Let me show this to you. It's mind-blowing. God says, for I, the Lord, do not change. Let it be simple. It's like the Bible says God doesn't change. And if God has all the power and He doesn't change, why pray? Why waste your time praying? And this was something that I believed and stuck with for a very long time. Is like, I've got no authority and I've got no chance of changing God's mind, so why pray? And then I started to study and realize, and this is really recent, this is only in the last six months that I started to realize this, but in answer to, the, uh, uh, to, to God's sovereignty and why pray if God is the one that has all the authority and all the power, is that God has actually delegated authority to each and every single one of us. See, in Matthew 16, Jesus says this, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This means that you have authority. As though he needed to reemphasize this, Jesus, two chapters later, in Matthew 18, says again, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. There is a delegated authority that God has given to each and every believer. But what we need to understand is that delegated authority only works when you are under the scope of that authority. Let me give you a good uh, example of this. I was in the Singapore army for two years doing my national service, and there was a really strange thing that I witnessed. See, when I was in this army camp from Mondays to Fridays, I had sergeants, I had uh, lieutenants, and all the other uh, bigwigs as um, people who had delegated authority over my life, literally. When I was in the army camp, if they were in a bad mood, there were days where they were making us clean everything. And I mean everything. 
we were in these uh, little uh, dorms and there were about 12 of us in a dorm and every now and then they would do an inspection to make sure that because we're all guys so I, I understand and need to do this every now and then but they needed to to make sure that we had clean our dorms and and there was one particular incident where we called him the incheck uh, there's a, a Malay word for warrant officer but I think incheck actually means like uncle or something yeah, it's really strange. So we called him uncle, but he was not our uncle. Uh, but, but he was in a bad mood. He was in a terrible mood. Um, we speculate as to why he was in a bad mood, but when he's in a bad mood, we are stuffed. So he came in and he was like, your dorms are all terrible. I'm going to give you half an hour. You need to clean everything. So we cleaned as much as we thought was necessary. He came back and he was like, Literally, this is what he did. He would climb, he would bring stuff, he would climb, and we had these ceiling fans, and he wiped the top of the ceiling fan. <laughs> Not clean, half an hour, I'll be back. Walks out the room, so we're like, what? So we cleaned them. He comes back half an hour later, we had these like sliding windows. We were in the oldest army camp in Singapore. Those windows were like 200 years old. No one touched them because they would break. But he, he goes straight to the window and it's like the sill on the outside and he, half an hour. He comes back, next time he goes to the door. He wipes a finger at the top of the door frame. This went on for hours. He had delegated authority and he was in a space where he could utilize that authority. Two years later, when I'm finished with the army and I'm a civilian, if I see that guy, he's got no authority over me. <laughs> if he came to McDonald's and I was serving, you know there's going to be some extra stuff in that burger because he's got no authority over me. In fact, do you know that because he signed on to be in the army, as a civilian, I've got authority over him. As long as he's wearing an army uniform, he's meant to serve me. That's how authority works. When there is a sphere where there's a delegated authority, you use that authority. You have power when you're in that space. But the moment you vacate that space, you lose that authority. So God doesn't allow us to misuse His power. God doesn't allow us to just go, I pray that you will be blind and go around misusing that kind of authority. But we use the authority in the space that God has given to us to operate in. How do we know that space? That, that we can easily find it in 1 John 5, 14 to 15. It says, and this is the confidence we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And we know that if He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. Basically, John's writing that you will have your prayers answered because you have delegated authority, but your delegated authority is in the sphere of God's will. When we understand God's will, we have got unlimited power. This is something that I'm still struggling with and I'm still trying to understand. Beck and I had a long conversation about this yesterday. I'm like, I don't even think I know what a power and authority I have yet. 
And Beck's like, please discover it for our church, for our family, because there is power that I haven't tapped into. It's like Spider-Man not knowing that he can climb walls. It's like Superman not knowing that he's invulnerable. It's like Batman not being smart. I don't know, what's his power? <laughs> we have this power and this authority that God has delegated to us. And, and, and how we access it is through prayer. Jesus is saying, when you pray, it will be done. Imagine if we understand God's will. Imagine if we understand what He's wanting to accomplish. And imagine if we really knew that He's saying, I want to do these things through you through this delegated authority that I've given to you and to you and to you. He has distributed it to each and every single one of us. God is sovereign, but He's saying, I want you to be a part of what I am doing. I had delegated authority to you. So how do we understand God's will? John 15, 5 to 7 says this, If you abide in me, this is Jesus speaking, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is hold a whole thing about asking, and it will be done. I, I love those verses, but it confuses the heck out of me until I understand that God truly wants to do what we ask of Him when we understand what space we're supposed to be standing in. How do I know what space I'm meant to be standing in? Draw closer to Jesus. Some of you are powerless people. Some of you have got no authority because you don't know anything about what God thinks about you. You've got no idea about the miraculous wonders that God has set aside for you. That the life, the, the beauty, the, the color that is meant to be part of your life has been set aside. And God's just saying, draw close to me because I want to deposit this into you. But you're like, oh, God's sovereign. And you keep crap walking your way away from God. I wonder what the church will look like if we understand that there's a delegated authority given to us. I wonder what families will look like, what our culture will look like when Christians understand that there's a delegated authority that comes from the Creator, allowing us to influence and impact our world. I wonder what my prayer life would look like if I truly understood how powerful my prayers are. Yes, it changes me. Yes, it, it does something in me, but it's also doing something else. But understand that there's one more problem. And that's the problem of God doesn't change. And so if His will is His will is His will, and that's always what's going to be accomplished, then what is going on? What, what, what do I accomplish through my prayers? And, and, and again, I, I had this challenge because the, the, the Bible got opened up to me and, and it showed me in the Old Testament there are a few occasions that it records that God repented. God repented. You see, in our Christian life, we, we, we've started to build this understanding that the word repent always has to do with sin. That sin is the thing that we repent of. But if we look in the Bible, uh, uh, we, we see that when uh, one example is when Moses went to pray for the Israelites because they had created these idols and God was really angry and God wanted to destroy all the Israelites and was saying to Moses, I'm going to restart with you. Because you know me and you have abided with me. The other Israelites, they're annoying. Let's kill them off. Moses interceded on their behalf. And the Bible says that God repented. 
And then in Jonah 3 verse 10, let's read this together. So when God saw what they did, and this was Jonah, Jonah the prophet went to Nineveh and he preached to them, told them, repent. They were really evil people. They were terrible people. And Jonah preached and said, turn away from your evil ways. And they all went on a 40-day fast. They put on sackcloth, whatever that looks like. And, 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 and they turned to God. And, and, and in Jonah 3.10 says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster. But the word relented, you can see I've bolded it. It's because the word relented is actually the same word in the Old Testament that is used for the word repented. God repented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. God repented. But God was not repenting of evil deeds. God was repenting in the way that he, changes, he changed his mind. See, what the Bible talks about with repentance is that I was fixed on doing things this way, and by repenting, I'm turning away, and now heading in this direction. I've changed my mind. I have changed my direction. The Bible clearly shows us that God changes His mind. It changes His behaviors. But how do we fit that with the whole idea when we talked about Malachi 3 verse 6, which says that, For I, the Lord, do not change. What we need to understand is that God doesn't change who He is. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His character is stable. It doesn't get changed, but the deeds and the actions change according to the situation out of the character that doesn't change. So, for example, as we look on, Jonah was really upset that God didn't destroy the Ninevites because he wanted them to be destroyed. And so he says to God, he prays to God, and Jonah 4 verse 2 says, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are... A gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and repenting from disaster. He knew that God's character, the overriding character of God, is that He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in love. And He would choose, rather choose, not to bring disaster, but to bring life. And so when Jonah understands that God only changes to come in alignment with his character, then he also understands that when I have a delegated authority from God uh, to, to work out his will, his will is always part of his character. And I'm always working for the grace and the mercy of God. I'm always working for the love of God so that disaster is averted and turned around. When, let me talk to you parents. You might have a child who is walking away from God and you're seeing that and you're worried about that. Why don't you, understand, why don't, why don't you take this opportunity to take the authority that God has given to you as their parent and begin to pray for them and say, God, you are merciful and gracious you are slow to anger and abounding in love and i pray that god you will turn this disastrous situation around i know that the, that my child might be heading towards disaster and destruction but god i pray that there would be a change in what is going on in accordance to your character and in accordance to your will 
I wonder if Christians take the kind of authority in the lives that we live. What is going to look different? What is going to change? God's character doesn't change. He's always faithful. He is always loving. He is always just. He's always merciful and he's always gracious. And when we appeal to him out of his character, his mind can be changed. Not that he's manipulatable by us, but when we understand the space that he's given to us to occupy and that he wants us to be agents of his will, things begin to change. James 5.16 says this, The prayer of a righteous person has great power. It's great power as it is working. I'm the first person to say that I didn't always understand this. And prayer's not always been something that I've worked to understand and to, to do. But as I studied this, both for myself and then for this message, I get this overriding sense of I'm missing out. I'm missing out because God has got a space for me. God has got a space for you. God has got a space for each and every one of us and for all of us together. And He's waiting for Christians to rise up. He's waiting for people to go, I'm sick and tired of the way the world's working. Sick and tired of the way our culture is dragging us down and, and, and stealing and, and destroying everything that is good and lovely. You just have to flick on the TV nowadays to see how broken and, and horrific life is right now. They're saying, if you're married for seven years and it sucks, go switch. You bring your problems with you. But because you like it, switch it up. How stupid. But until we see that there is a life worth living, until we see that there is an authority and a sphere that God has got us in that is wonderful. I, I don't know how to describe it because I'm still trying to discover it. I don't know if I've got the words to, to talk about this sphere, but God is showing me, come on, step in. Christian, step in. There's, there's a world to change. There is a world to save. There is a life to live. And we need Christians not to be doormats, to be nice and useless. But we need Christians to understand that in your school, you are the light of the world. That in your workplace, you are supposed to be changing things around because God has got you there and you have a delegated authority. Right now, you might feel you're in that place and that place has been given to you and you've got nothing to do with it and you don't know what you can do about it. But there's a higher authority and there's a higher power where God has placed you right where He needs you. And in that space, you make all the difference. Through God's power, through His will, through His grace and His mercy and His abounding love and His faithfulness. Some of you might see this as a, why would I want to be a slave to God's will? But the other alternative is to be a slave to the world. And I've been there to some extent. And I looked at it and I went, this is an emptiness. So the, the wind blows and it's 
gone. But as I step into how God sees me, and I start to understand who He is more, suddenly there is something that begins to ignite on the inside of my heart. I'm praying that for you. I'm sweating my guts out here for you, and I'll shout my guts out if that's what it takes. But I want us to realize that there is something so much more. There's something so much more. I keep coming back to this because I think I'm still discovering this, but Jesus said in John 10 verse 10, I've come that you might have real and eternal life, a more and a better life. I'm sick of myself leading a second-rate, crappy existence. And I'm sick of other people living the same way. I know we were meant to be talking about prayer, and now we're talking about life, but prayers are simply us talking to God. It's just a part of how we live. Let's get the band up this morning. I want to talk to people that don't understand that God has chosen you for a more and better life. That you haven't understood that there's more to your existence than going through day by day, going by routine and just trying to get to little pockets of fun. So what a meaningless existence. But God has got so much more for you. Every Christian, you better be praying right now because this is one of the most significant things that we can do each and every week. But this morning, I want to introduce you to a God who is gracious and merciful, who is slow to anger and abounding in love. And He sees each and every single one of us and He says, you know what, child? I placed value and significance upon your life. I have delegated authority to you so that in this life, you get to live a life with purpose and meaning. What the Bible teaches us is to receive Jesus in our lives, is to believe in our hearts and to confess with our lips that He is our Savior and our Lord. And that day you find salvation. Salvation is just the starting point Salvation is just that point of, of being right with God, not because of your actions, but because of what Christ has done. And from that point on, you get access into all that God has got for you. It is a journey of discovering that, and it's a journey of walking into that. But let's start at the start. So this morning, with every eye closed and every head bowed, what I want to do is to introduce people to this Jesus by teaching and by leading you through this prayer that we'll all say together. But if you can, if you, if you will, if you, if you want this, I'm going to count as three and then you can put your hand up and then back down. And by putting your hand up, you're saying, I want to say that prayer. I want, to, I want salvation. I want this life. I want this thing that God has got for me. So I'm going to count as three now. One, two, three. Is there anyone here that would like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior to find salvation for yourself this morning? Fantastic. Awesome.
Let's say this prayer together. Dear Jesus, I know that I have sinned. I know I've stuffed it up. But I know that you are my Savior. I know that you came and died on the cross for my sin. So I invite you in. Be my Lord. I am yours. Amen. Amen. If you said that prayer, even if you didn't put up your hand, we've got our team. We've got some Bibles that, are, that we want to give to you as a gift to help you on this journey. And that is available for you. This morning, I don't really know exactly how we are supposed to close. But why don't we just stand up for a moment. And what I would like to do is that I'll just like to pray taking the authority as your pastor. That God begins to open your eyes and begins to open things up for you. I get this sense that there are many people in here that are kind of just blindly trying to get through life. But the more that I read the Bible, the more I sense that God wants to bring a clarity. God wants to bring a purpose and a meaning to your existence. And so I want to pray for you that you discover that, that you find that for yourself. So let's pray. Dear God, I pray for every single person here. I pray for every person that they will discover you, that they will be drawn closer to you, that they would see you for who you are. I pray that any doubt, any lies of the enemy that is blinding people to see the authority, to see the life that you have got in store for us will be broken in the name of Jesus. And God, I pray that life, a bright life, a more and better life would be made known to each and every single person that where they're at right now, they have got meaning, they got purpose, they have got power that has been delegated from you and I pray that we will draw closer to you that you will draw us to you as well that we can know that we can know that we can know who you are your beauty and your majesty your grace and your mercy your overflowing love for each and every single one of us so I thank you God I pray your blessing upon each and every person. I pray to God that this week would be an amazing week. I pray that even with this message, that would stir something up in each and every one of us to seek out, to know the things that you have prepared for us to, to be a part of. I pray that this will be a meaningful, powerful week. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.